Now I invite you to pray with me and to pray for me. Lord God, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our hearts this morning and speak to them. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence and we invite you to bring conviction to our hearts through the living word that you will initiate healing and transformation in our lives. We pray this all for the glory of your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today is the final Sunday of the season of Epiphany before the season of Lent begins this Wednesday. Today, our focus is on Jesus's transfiguration. It's the second Sunday in our church calendar where we read of Jesus's transfiguration. The first being the Feast of the Transfiguration, which happens every year on the same day, August 6th. Today, we also read of the Transfiguration, but today's ordinary time. It's not a feast. We're still in, well, as I saw on the calendar, we're still in green. It is white. So it is a feast. I looked at the wrong calendar. (laughs) Pretty sure it was green, but I'm going to go with that. (laughs) If you can remember the first Sunday in the season of Epiphany, we read of Jesus' baptism. So the season of Epiphany is therefore bookended by the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration of Jesus. Two events where the voice of God Almighty was heard speaking over Jesus. Both events, God identified Jesus as his beloved son. In the first event, Jesus' baptism, it marked the beginning of his ministry, and it occurred in the Jordan River Valley in the presence of many people. The transfiguration occurs on an unnamed mountain. Only Peter, James, and John are present to witness it. Today, I want to connect a few dots regarding the three significant biblical mountaintop experiences that are referenced in our scripture readings. Now, if you were paying attention to the readings and you were listening, you may be wondering, where are there three? Because I I heard... Elijah on the mountain. I heard Jesus on the mountain. What's the third one? The third one's connected with Moses. That's right. Moses, who appeared with Elijah during Jesus' transfiguration. That goes back to Exodus 33 and 34. It tells the story of Moses' discouragement after the golden calf incident. If you recall, Moses was gone receiving the Ten Commandments. That was a different mountaintop experience. Moses was gone for 40 days, and the people got impatient. Ultimately, they demanded, Aaron, make us a new god. Make us idols. Aaron does that. He makes the golden calf. Moses is told by God the people are rebelling, and as he comes down with these gifts from God, he sees the people reveling, he sees the idols, and he throws the tablets down and shatters them. Moses was discouraged at this point. He was anxious at this point. What what am I to do? Moses is crying out to God for clarity and insight, and in his distress, he cries out, this is Exodus 33, verse 18, please, Lord, show me your glory. He's essentially saying, Lord, show me something. 
Have any of you prayed a prayer like that? In desperation before the Lord. God answers and tells him, go up on Mount Sinai again. Bring two new tablets to replace the broken ones. And God promises to allow Moses to see him, to see his back as he passes by. So that's our first mountaintop experience. Elijah is our second. And it's seen in our reading from, reading from 1 Kings chapter 19. So turn to page 3 of your leaflet. Elijah here is fresh off his victorious confrontation with the priests of Baal. God Almighty was proven to be the one true God. Baal never shows up. And then all 450 of the prophets of Baal are killed. You would think Elijah would be feeling pretty good. But because of that event, Queen Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah declaring her promise to kill him just as the prophets were killed. Elijah was so discouraged and so anxious that he flees to the wilderness to die. We didn't read it, but in 1 Kings 19, verse 4, Elijah says, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. Have any of you prayed a prayer that desperate before the Lord. In verse 6, the Lord miraculously provides food for Elijah by an angel. And Elijah is so strengthened that he runs 40 days and 40 nights. Well, he travels. I imagine he runs. But he travels to the Mount of God. It's called Horeb in 1 Kings 19. But Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai, the same mountain that Moses was on. Now, you can see some similarities between Moses in Exodus 33 and Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. They're both discouraged and anxious. They're both experiencing a need for hope, and they're both crying out to God for help. And God meets both of them on the mountain. And in Moses' case, God met him there. God allowed him to see him as he passed by. God renewed his covenant with Moses, and he renewed his covenant, therefore, with his people. And Moses was so encouraged by this, and so full of encouragement, that he literally glowed. The presence of God glowed. His face glowed as he came down to the people. So that's how Moses' situation was resolved. Let's look to 1 Kings, our reading today, to see how Elijah's situation works out. Verse 9, it says, There Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. Scholars suggest it could have been the same cave, the same cleft in the rock that Moses hid in in Exodus 33. Here it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, after Elijah explains what he's doing there, the word of the Lord says in verse 11, Go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. And there the Lord passed by. First a great strong wind shattering rocks. 
but it says the Lord wasn't in the wind. Then an earthquake, then a fire, both. The Lord wasn't in those. Then a whisper. In verse 13, when Elijah heard the whisper, he came out of the cave. We read there. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I want to pause here to take a closer look regarding these two different speakers that are asking Elijah questions. The first one, verse 9, referred to as the word of the Lord. And the second, in verse 13, is referred to as a voice. Both are individuals, persons, that ask Elijah the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answers the exact same way both times he's asked. So this suggests two different inquisitors. The second one, the voice, is identified in verse 15. So the voice said, what are you doing here? Elijah explained in verse 15, and then the Lord said to him. So the Lord, Yahweh, Adonai, the Lord Almighty, is the second voice. But who's the first voice? I'm going to suggest something to you today. I know there are some scholars in our midst. I haven't done a deep dive into biblical commentaries or into journal articles or other studies to know what ground I'm standing on, but I feel pretty good. I'm reading the text just as the Hebrew says it. Verse 9, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he, the word of the Lord, said to him. It doesn't say an angel came. Angels have been identified previously in Scripture. It says the word of the Lord came, and he spoke. I want to suggest to you today that this word of the Lord is the same word who was with God in the beginning and has been with God through eternity. This is Jesus, I believe. Feel free to push back on me later. The word of the Lord, he spoke. It's Jesus who asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? Then when God the Father asks the same question and Elijah responds, the Lord responds in verse 15. He asks the same question and then responds to Elijah this time, and he gives Elijah encouragement and insight into what's coming next. Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive and he starts to give him insight into what's going to happen next. He strengthens, the Lord does. He strengthens Elijah for the tasks to come. And then in verse 16, he tells Elijah something very important. The second, he says, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Melio, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Well, there's only one way to hear that. Elijah's time's up. If there's going to be a prophet in his place, Elijah's done. That that's going to be coming. So the Lord strengthens him to do his final tasks, and then he's replaced. He will be replaced by Elisha. 
In both of these instances, Moses and Elijah are discouraged and anxious. They're in need of hope, and God meets them, God encourages them, and he strengthens them for what is to come. But also remember, they both go away to meet with the Lord. It's with that that we move to our passage from Mark chapter 9. So now turn to page 5 in your leaflet. It's important to note here, we're in Mark chapter 9. Jesus is just two short chapters away from his triumphal entry into Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11. And what's the triumphal entry launched Jesus into? His passion, his trial, his crucifixion, his purpose. The transfiguration marks a major shift in Jesus' ministry. He's been in the Judean countryside, preaching, teaching, performing miracles, healing the sick, releasing the demon-possessed, and challenging the Jewish religious leaders. The transfiguration on the mountain marks a shift from his ministry to the final preparation for his death. Now, I want to pause right now and pull us back to about 30,000 feet, give you a wide-angle chance to look at what's going on here. So Jesus is eternal with the Father. He was with God the Father in eternity. He was with God the Father in creation. So when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai two times, Jesus was with God. Are you following me? When God met with Elijah on Mount Sinai, Jesus was with God. So he's present there. I'm suggesting perhaps Jesus himself appeared as the word of God to Elijah. Now, both Moses and Elijah are with God. Moses having died, Elijah having famously departed the earth in a flaming chariot. When I go, I think that's a good way to go. (laughs) They're with God, so they've been in eternity with God for centuries. Who else would have been with God in eternity when Moses and Elijah got there? Jesus. Think about that. I imagine Moses and Elijah and Jesus are well acquainted with one another in the time that they've spent together in eternity. Then Jesus, in his incarnation, departs eternity to enter time, to live as one of us, to take on flesh, with a purpose that he would fulfill God's plan. He was the long-prophesied Messiah to die for the sins of the world, to offer eternal life to all who would believe in him. So Jesus was fully divine, eternal. And as he came into our earth, into our time to live, he was fully human. Jesus, therefore, endured everything that you endure, pain, suffering, loss, slander, misunderstanding, and rejection. And he's now preparing for the final chapter of his life, where he knows that he is to be betrayed and tortured and ultimately killed. It's easy to imagine Jesus is God the Son. Jesus 
He's macho. He's ready for this. He's got this. It's important to remember that Jesus was fully human. That Jesus in his humanity would have been also anxious, fearful, discouraged, and in need of encouragement. He lived without sinning, but he lived and experienced all that you and I experience. He's in need of encouragement, so he takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain with him. It's important to note that because he didn't want to go alone. He he needed three brothers to stand with him. There he's transfigured, taking on the glory of his identity as God the Son, meeting with Elijah and Moses, who have departed eternity to enter time to meet with Jesus. Does that not blow your mind? Somewhere there's a Marvel movie in there. Don't, no, never mind. It is mind-blowing when you consider eternity and our time and all the dynamics. With that, I want to come back in from 30,000 feet and return to our text. Verse 4 of our Gospel in Mark. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. They were talking. Mark doesn't say anything more there, but I've got a slide. This is what Luke reports. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. And it continues. Is there one more slide? Okay. Need somebody to pull out their Bible. We missed the second half of verse 30. Or I didn't instruct to go on to verse 31. Because it's important what Luke says there. Two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. And as I recall, it says, and they were discussing his departure. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 9. They were discussing Jesus' departure. Luke 9, verse 30. What did you got, Mike? Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. Keep going. Keep going. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from the world. There it is. And they were speaking about his departure from the world, which was about to happen in Jerusalem. Now, that same word departure can be translated exodus. So they weren't just talking. It shouldn't surprise us. They were talking about Jesus' (coughs) impending death, his departure, his exodus. I imagine them there encouraging Jesus, reminding him of how difficult the road will be, reminding him, God is with you. God, the Father's with you. We knew this. This is your journey. This is your purpose. They were there to encourage him and strengthen him. The event culminates with the cloud descending and God, the Father, speaking. Almost the same words he spoke at the baptism. 
At the baptism of Jesus, God the Father said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. On the mountain, God the Father says, this is my beloved son. It's declarative. Listen to him. Both times, Jesus is God's beloved son, affirming Jesus. Mark records in verse 14, we only read to verse 9. They came down the mountain. They had some discussions. But then in verse 14, it's important to know that they were immediately confronted with all of the brokenness in creation. Mountaintop experiences are mountaintops. How many people have had a negative mountaintop experience? Well, you have if you've actually climbed a mountain and suffered when you got up there. But in the mountaintop experience, those are good. He comes down and he's confronted with brokenness. The reality of life. Verse 14, we read, A child who's demon-possessed has been with the other disciples, and they say, "Why we can't do anything. We can't help him. When you read that, it's so important to look at Jesus' pace. He's now preparing for the end of his life. He's got some stuff on his head, right? His pace. He doesn't overreact. He's not anxious as the other disciples run up and say, what's going on? As the child falls writhing to the ground before him, Jesus doesn't jump in to, to fix He pauses. It blows my mind that he pauses and he looks to the dad and he says, how long has this been happening? He knows enough to ask him, dad, how long has this child been suffering? How long have you been suffering? In his humanity, because of the encouragement he's received from God the Father, he's able to be calm in his humanness, loving those around him. And that's remarkable. And that should be extravagant encouragement for every one of you. If you believe in Jesus, he lives in you. Jesus promised to be with you and in you and never to leave you or forsake you. In Jesus' incarnation, you can know that he's experienced everything that you have and everything that you will. Anxiety and pain, suffering and evil, slander, even physical abuse, sorrow, persecution, and betrayal. He knows what you have experienced He knows what you will experience. He knows what you are experiencing right now. And he's with you. And his spirit is in you. And that spirit can give you calmness to even in the midst of turmoil, love others. Jesus ascended to the mountain to receive encouragement from the Lord. And he invites you to follow his example. That's what I want you to take with you today. You are invited regularly to ascend the mountain 
to commune with the living word. Perhaps this Lent you'll lean into the discipline of daily climbing the mountain. Some call it a quiet time. I'm going to call it climbing the mountain today. Climbing the mountain to spend time with the Lord and his word. Because like a mountain climb, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take preparation to set that time, to get away. It's a choice to stop. And to meet with the Lord and to let him encourage you. The Lord promises to meet you as you read and reflect on his word. He promises to strengthen you with his Holy Spirit when you turn to him. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40 Verse 31, he declares that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. He goes on to say, you will be able to run and not grow weary. You'll be able to walk and not be faint. How many of us cry out for that multiple times a day? And yet that's a gift that's offered to you as a child of God. Only in his strength, guided by his spirit, will you be able to walk in your daily human life with hope and peace and calmness. Only filled with his love will you love your neighbor as you are loved. Moses and Elijah both stepped away from life to seek the Lord's encouragement and strengthening. Jesus regularly stepped away from, for time with the Father. He got away from the crowds. If they needed that time away to be strengthened, how much more do you? How much more do I need it? If they were strengthened and encouraged by their time away from the Lord, how much more will you be strengthened and encouraged as the Lord renews your strength? As Jesus departed the mountaintop to walk out the rest of his days, so may you depart today encouraged that in Christ, No power of sin or death will prevail over you. And that he lives in you. And that as his Holy Spirit shines through you, you'll be a light for his gospel and his love unto the world. I want to end with our collect because it says exactly what we're talking about. Turn to page two. Let's end this time together praying our collect at the bottom of page two. Together. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.